0: If you have a Bible, uh, you might want to grab it. Uh, we're in Hebrews chapter 5 today. Uh, but before I get there, I just want to ask you, does God have your attention right now? It seems like the in the conversations that I'm in, and I, I might just be uh, unique in, in where I am and, and in my role and everything, but it seems like God really has... A lot of our attention right now Um, and that uh, in light of everything that's going on in the world he's kind of stripping things away Um, he's kind of stripping things away that that might uh, distract us or might take our focus off of him and he's bringing us into a place of looking at what really matters and so I ask you does does he have your attention right now um, I've had a lot of these kind of conversations with people that are just saying, like, wow, how the world has changed uh, in just a month. Wow, how, how so much is different. Um, and I really think that with that, uh, we have some questions. See, in, in the Bible, it talks about idols. And it talks about idols being those things that, that maybe, you know, we're created, we're designed, we're made to worship God. But idols are those things that we take, and in and, and, and the place that we're designed to worship God, we put these other things. And we put those, these other things there, and then, then we worship them. You're like, well, wait a second, Wayne. I don't have a closet in my room where I go bow down to little statues and stuff. But things that maybe we might be tempted to worship, tempted to fill our time with, uh, tempted to fill all of our attention with, uh, tempted to put all of our resources towards, those things are all kind of being stripped away. Sports, they're gone. I mean, you can still watch reruns, but any live sports, gone. Money and financial security and certainty, it's kind of gone right now as far as certainty. We're in a very uncertain time, and I think that's got a lot of people's attention. Assurance of our health and assurance of our healthcare system's ability to take care of us, it's kind of gone. Because people are looking at it and they're saying, hey, th- I mean, this virus could... It could overwhelm us, it could overwhelm our systems, it could overwhelm everything. Do we have enough ventilators? Do we have enough masks? Do we have enough of this? Do we have enough of that? And our assurance there is going that thing that we could kind of always feel like, oh, well, if I get sick, they're going to take care of me. We're starting to kind of doubt that the certainty that that our government can take care of us and that it can meet all of our needs and it can solve any of our problems and it can get us whatever we need, well, that's kind of eroding too. I'm thankful for those in the government. I'm thankful for those in the healthcare system. I'm thankful for everyone that's working so hard right now. But ultimately, if our hope is in those things, then that's an idol. And that's something that's being stripped away. Because ultimately, the one who's in, con- in charge, the one who's in control, is God. And he's got this. He's got this under control. He's, he knows what's happening, and he knows uh, what's going to happen. And none of this has taken him by surprise. And so I encourage you that he is the one that we can have faith in, that we can have assurance in, that we can rest in. And so so I ask you, do you know him? I've had a lot of people, Christians and non-Christians, talking to me about, "Is this the end?" And I'll tell you, I don't know. I don't know if this is the end. I do know that the end is coming at some point, but is this it? I don't know. And whether it's the end of everything, when Jesus comes back, whether that's right here and close to us, or whether the question really for a lot of people right now is, is this the end for me? Am I going to get sick with this thing? Are my finances going to crash because of this thing? Am I going to lose my job over this? Maybe I've already lost my job over this. Maybe I'm already in a tailspin over this. And we're left asking, is this the end? Is this it? Is, this, is it over? And I want to ask you, when you're faced with those kinds of questions, what's happening is the fact that God is getting your attention. So I ask you, does God have your attention right now? He's stripping away all of this other stuff, and he's getting our attention. And the question you start to ask when God gets your attention is, so if this is the end, or ultimately in the end, what is it that matters? What matters in the end? What what is it that matters? What is it um, that's important in the end? I'll tell you, what I think is going to matter in the end is your standing before God. Will you be found guilty of your own sin? Or will God look at you and say, Your, son, your sins have been forgiven and taken care of? I think we all want to be in that group that God would look at us and say, Your, your sins are forgiven and taken care of. And i to tell you, a, a, biblically, a key component. To whether your sins are forgiven and taken care of comes right down to the role of the high priest. In our passage for today in Hebrews 5, we will learn about the high priests in plural, I'm talking about all of the high priests uh, throughout Jewish history um, and what their role was and how they got put in that role and that kind of thing. And then uh, the author of Hebrews will take us and show us how we have access to a different high priest today, and that that high priest is available to us. So first, let's learn about high priest. So Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins, He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So what do we see here about high priests and the role of high priests? I'm going to kind of fly through some of this real quick. Uh, we could spend a whole sermon just in that little section right there. Uh, but we're going to just going kind to of click through some of this. First thing we see is for every high priest chosen from among men. First thing, high priests were all chosen from among men. It wasn't just, this is something we'll see later on down in here, but it wasn't just that they said, hey, I'm in, this is me, I'm going to be the high priest. Uh, No, they were chosen. They were set aside. They said, hey, this person is the high priest. God chose them. He set them aside. And he said, they are appointed to do this. What was their job? Their job was they were appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. So the high priest acts on behalf of men in relation to God. This is what they all did. Um, And so on on behalf of men, men would sin, men would mess up, men would get things wrong. And and on behalf of men, to make them right with God, they would would be the intermediary that would be between them, between men and God, to work on that relationship. Uh, The next thing you see there still in verse 1, And to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. This is how they worked on that relationship. This is how they made things right with God, was they would offer gifts and sacrifices to God for sins. And they would say, here's the sacrifice. This is on behalf of the people. God forgive them, because we know that sin requires death. And so here's the sacrifice that's in place of the people for their sin. Next, the high priest It goes into this whole thing, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. You see, the high priest was able to identify with people because he was like them. He too was weak. He too struggled with sin. He too had problems in his life. And so um, because of that, he must be compassionate and understanding of men and their plight because he is one of us. That's the role of the high priest, and that's why he is really able to make intercession with us for—I mean, for us with God. Verse three says this: because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. You see, this was the downfall of the human high priest. You see, he was guilty of his own doing. He was guilty before God himself. And so he had to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for those of the people. Then verse 4, And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. You see, these men were put in this position by God. They were put there by God calling them to it and saying, hey, this is going to be the high priest. And then he mentions here Aaron. And Aaron was the brother of Moses way back in Old Testament history. And God said, hey, out of Aaron are going to be the high priest. He's going to have the line of the priesthood. Uh, It's going to come from Aaron. And so, so we see this through the Old Testament. Now, as I said, we could have spent a lot of time there and really dug into all of those things and, uh, and everything. Uh, but the good news is, is that um, we don't still have that same system. We don't still have uh, those same human high priest. We don't have a high priest um, who uh, sins on his, uh, of his own accord and has to, has to offer sacrifices for himself. We don't have that. Instead, we have what it says in verse 5. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so, instead of having... Uh, a human high priest that has to, to do all of these rituals and make all of these sacrifices and do all of this different stuff for us. Instead, what we have is Jesus Christ, who is the perfect high priest. So what do we see here in this verse about Jesus? First, we see that he was appointed by God as our high priest. Jesus was, just like the, the human uh, high priests were appointed by God, Jesus was appointed by God as our high priest. Um, and we've already seen uh, the author of Hebrews back in, in chapter 1. Uh, he quoted this verse, You are my son, today I have begotten you. What does he mean by that? What does that, that passage mean? Well, that passage points us to the fact of who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. Being the Son of God, that means he is fully God. That means, what that that points to is the fact that for all of eternity past, he has eternally existed with God the Father in perfect harmony and unity as the second person of the Trinity. He's existed in perfect harmony and unity with the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. For all of eternity past, that has been his existence. But yet... When he came to earth, he was begotten. What does that mean? That means that he took on human flesh. That not only was he the son of God, but also he was the son of man. And as the son of man, he lived like one of us. He experienced the things that we experience. And so... He can have genuine and real compassion on us. He, has, uh, he can identify with what we're going through. He can identify with our needs. When you think about what's going on in our world today, and maybe you're a little uncertain right now, and maybe you're a little worried, maybe you're a little anxious, maybe you don't really know about all of this and what's going on, I want to encourage you with the fact that Jesus can identify with right where you are. He can identify with who you are. He can identify with what you're facing because he came and lived as one of us. And he has compassion for us based on that. He's not just God up in heaven who's like, well, hope those people figure it out. I created them and everything. Well, hope they get this figured out. No, he came down and he became one of us so that he could live with us. And even now, as he is our high priest, seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, doing his job of high priest, he's able to say, I know what they're facing. I know what's on their mind. I know what they're going through. I know what's hitting them. I know what's coming at them. And I just want to encourage you that he is faithful and that you can hold close to him. And then he goes on here in Hebrews and says, and as he also says in another place, you are a priest forever. Forever. You are a priest forever. He's quoting here from Psalm 110. And he's saying, hey, this passage is talking about Jesus saying, you are a priest forever. You see, the human high priest system kind of had its downfall. Those high priests would die. And then that was, they were done. And then there had to be another one. But you see, Jesus rose from the dead. He has defeated sin and death. And because of that, he's able to be our high priest forever. So when it comes to the end, when it really is the end, and if we are with him and we're in him and we know him as our Lord and Savior and he is our high priest, then we have nothing to fear. Because he's our high priest even through that. He carries us through. He watches over us through that. And we don't have to worry about it. Now, there's this also this other little thing mentioned here. After the order of Melchizedek. And we might say, what does that have to do with anything? And why do I care? Well, let me tell you. The Hebrews, the Jewish people at this time, they were very in tune with all of the Old Testament system, right? Right? And as I already mentioned, we saw Aaron mentioned earlier, they knew that the high priests were supposed to come from the line of Aaron, right? And Aaron was of the tribe of Levi, all right? The tribes go back to Jacob had 12 sons. Levi was one of those sons. And so any high priest, anybody that had the claim on high priest was to be out of the line of Aaron, which was of the tribe of Levi, Jesus, however, we see in, uh, in the Gospels, when it goes through his genealogy, um, the fact that he was of the tribe of Judah. He's even known as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Um, and that was very important because Jesus also fulfilled all of the promises that God made to David who David was of the tribe of Judah. Um, And so as as that was his tribe that his family line was from, you can naturally believe that as the Jewish people uh, were hearing about Jesus and then the author of Hebrews starts telling them about Jesus as the high priest, they're going to be saying, hold on, wait a minute, how can he do that? Because you see, Judah, Levi, brothers, you can't be a descendant of both. Right? That's just simple genealogy. That's the way it works. Family trees. Hopefully they don't grow together. Um, And so they're saying, wait, what, what is this? How could he be of that tribe and that tribe? And so what the author of Hebrews does here is he points back to the, and he quotes this psalm. This psalm that was written by David Psalm 110, which Jesus himself quoted referring to himself. And we'll look at that psalm in a minute. But what that psalm is then pointing back to is this, this Old Testament character that's, that seems to almost just be a footnote. He seems to just be this guy that kind of pops on the scene and then he's gone. And his name was Melchizedek. And we see Melchizedek and uh. Brittany's trying to correct my pronunciation um, as she's a mouthing from the back of the room. Um, but I'm going to say it's Melchizedek. Um, and I've studied Hebrew, and I don't know if I remember it, but that's the way I'm going to pronounce it. Um, but anyway, so this guy, we can just call him Mel, okay? Let's just call him Mel, okay? All right, so Mel um, was this guy that shows up uh, back in Genesis um, before we got to the tribes. Before there was a Levi, before there was a Judah, this guy shows up. And he shows up in a story uh, relating to Abram. Uh, This is the guy that later was known as Abraham, uh, but at this point he's still known as Abram. And this this thing has happened where his nephew Lot uh, was um, caught up with the wrong people, and he was captured in a battle. And Lot, all of his possessions and all of the, the whole group of people that Lot was living with and hanging around with had all been conquered. And this, this guy that had conquered them was taking them all into captivity and everything. They were going to be his slaves and so on and so forth. Well, Abram uh, gets word of this. And so he gets together all of the fighting uh, men of his household and he goes after him. And he and his fighting men uh, conquer uh, the guy that had just conquered everybody else all right, And so they then free all of these people and all of the spoils of war they then have that are, are theirs. And so um, it's after this has happened that we see Mel show up uh, in Genesis chapter 14. And let me just turn there real quick. And here's what it says about Melchizedek. So after his return from the defeat of Chedor Lamor, easy for you to say. And the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shiva, that is the King's Valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him, saying, Blessed be Abram, by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave a tenth of everything. Now, what do we see here? We see that Judah's ancestor and Levi's ancestor, who was Abram, was ministered to and blessed by this priest, Melchizedek. But not only was Melchizedek a priest, he was also a king. He was a priest and king in one. You see, in the whole Jewish system, the priest line was over here and the king line was over here. And it was a good system because the two were designed to hold each other accountable. The king was not to dip into the priest role, and the priest was not to dip into the king role. We saw this a lot as we walked through Nehemiah, as Nehemiah had a very clear picture of being a government leader and not a spiritual leader. As Nehemiah would lean on on the spiritual leaders, on the priests to do their job, and he, as a government leader, would make sure that they had what they needed to do it. So we saw that picture as we worked through Nehemiah as a church um, and so this is the way it was supposed to work. In fact, uh, when you see the very first king of Israel, Saul, uh, the reason why God rejected him and rejected his his line was that he dipped over into the priest role. He dipped over into the priest role and started offering sacrifices for himself, something that he was told not to do. And so, so we see throughout the Jewish line that these two were running in conjunction with each other to hold each other accountable. Why? Because both of these were filled by sinful men. But what we have in Jesus is someone who can bring that together because he doesn't need accountability because he's perfect. And since he's perfect, he's able to be the perfect priest and king in one. And so we have a priest-king who can sit on the throne next to God and rule sovereignly but also intercede for us at the same time in the order of Melchizedek. Just like Melchizedek was a priest-king, so is Jesus. It's interesting when you see Abram's response to the priest-king. What does Abram do? He gave him a tenth of everything. See, this is where Christians throughout history have gotten, uh, first see in Scripture this idea of giving a tithe or a tenth to God, to the ministry, to those that are doing uh, the spiritual work to provide for them. So that's just a little interesting footnote about this story with Abram and Melchizedek. But as I said, David uh, wrote Psalm 110. And in Psalm 110, uh, David says this, and you might recognize um, this first verse where Jesus quoted it about himself. The Lord says to my Lord... Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. You see, that was what Jesus quoted about himself that really got all of the religious leaders all been out of shape because they knew that this passage was talking about the Messiah. And that Jesus is saying, hey, I am that Messiah. I am the promised one, the one that's going to sit on the throne of David for all of eternity. The eternal throne, the eternal king. But then down in verse 4 of Psalm 110, it says this, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You see, David even saw through this prophetic psalm, he even saw that Jesus was going to be not just the one who sits on his throne forever, not just the one who's eternally on the throne, but he was going to be eternally on the throne <laughs> as both priest and king, that he was going to be uh, the one to do that. And so we see Psalm 110 being all about Jesus. And that's what the author of Hebrews is picking up on here. When he says, and he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Not only is he a priest, but he's also a king. He's also a king who's in charge of a great army. He's a a king who's in control. He's a king who is sovereign. And he can be both because he is perfect, because he is sinless. Verse 7, in the days of his flesh, so this is while he walked among us, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. So Jesus, while he was here on earth, offered up these loud cries and tears to the one who's able to save him from death. And... The image that comes to mind there specifically is the the moment where he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's there before he knows he knows the cross is before him. He knows he's about to walk into that. Uh, we're about to enter into to the 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 time where we celebrate that each year, where we remember what Jesus did. The time of Easter. Um, I don't know what all that's going to look like for us as a church yet. I mean, how we're going to um, be able to celebrate Easter and all of that. Like this, I don't know, um, but uh, we're going to do the best we can. But as Jesus was about to enter into that time, as he was looking forward and knowing that the cross was what was before him, knowing that death was before him, he has this time of pleading with God and saying, If this cup can be passed from me, great, but not my will, but your will be done. And in that, Jesus went to the cross. But his prayers were answered, as the author of Hebrews says, his prayers were heard because he rose from the dead. We know that he rose from the dead, and so we know his prayers were heard. So why were his prayers heard? Well, the author of Hebrews says it, uh, heard because of his reverence. Um. I think reverence might be a weak term in our culture for what's being talked about here. Because when we talk about reverence, you know, it's like kind of like you know being respectful, right? And like um, you know, those in authority, you don't you're not rude to them or something like that, you're reverent. Um, You know, you're in a certain setting that's a formal setting or whatever where you, you know, you put on your good behavior. Um, I know for some of you that's hard. uh, But, you know, you put on your good behavior and, and you're reverent. But what it's talking about here is the fact that Jesus was reverent to God. And what that means was Jesus was always on his good behavior. What that means is Jesus always Did what God wanted. What that means is Jesus was always in communion with the Father and doing what he wanted and being obedient to God, meaning that he never sinned. And so his reverence points to his righteousness, points to his perfection, points to how good he is. And so he he was saved from death because he is righteous, he is perfect. He is holy. The author of Hebrews goes on in verse 8. says, although he was a son, although he was already the eternal second person of the Trinity, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. Now, those, that first little part there is something if you just take this verse by itself and maybe you take it out of context and everything, then you can kind of make it say something that's not really what it's saying. You can make it say, well, well Jesus wasn't perfect, but he became perfect because of the suffering. Which, in reality, more of what it's saying here is it's saying the fact that, that Jesus, because of his obedience, his obedience even through suffering, although he was already perfect, he was our perfect creator, he created everything, he never sinned, he's all perfect and all-knowing and everything, like he is the definition of perfection already. Because he came and lived in one, as one of us and suffered as one of us, he brought that perfection to completion. He completed it. And everything that he went through it was said, it is finished. That's what he said on the cross. It is finished. What what I've done, it is finished. It is done. And Jesus accomplished everything. It was completed. And because of that, what he says here, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so Jesus is the source for eternal salvation. So how do we get that eternal salvation? This, this is what we're, we're, we're pointing to the whole time, right? Does God have your attention right now? Does he have your attention? Is he pointing you to something? Is he pointing you to Jesus? Is he saying, Jesus is what you need? And you're saying, hey, hey, I need that. I need Jesus. I need him in my life. I, I, I need hope. If this is the end, I, I, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to stand before God. I, I need hope. I need Jesus. So what are we to do? Well, here in Hebrews, he expresses it this way, that he's salvation to all who obey him. So what did he tell us? He told us that it's about faith. It's about believing in him. It's about believing in what he did on the cross. It's about the sacrifice that he paid for us. It's about repentance. Repentance is where you say, all of my idols, all of my stuff, everything else I worship, I'm stripping that away, God, and I'm turning towards you. My sin, my sin that that it's plagued me, all of this, it's gone, I'm following you. That's what repentance means. But all of this comes to us, and Scripture is clear on this when you look at all of it together. All of this comes to us by the grace of God. It is a gift. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And so if you think that you can obey enough or you can be good enough or whatever in order to please God, then you're missing it. Because the fact was, of our own accord, even our best high priests that have ever lived, they were insufficient on their own to appease God and be made right with God. They were not good enough. And so if you think that you can be good enough, that you can obey enough, uh, that you can do all the right things enough and not the wrong things enough, if you think that's who you are, then I want to tell you you're mistaken. That you can't. That it's only through Jesus. It is only through the high priest making intercession for you. It is only through the high priest making sacrifice for you. What sacrifice did Jesus make? He sacrificed himself. He was the sacrifice. And we know that that sacrifice was received. We know that that sacrifice was accepted by the fact that he rose from the dead. He defeated sin and death. And he offers that freedom to us. And so, Christian, a lot of this that I've said today, you're like, yeah, I know that. Yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm, yep. Yep. Are you letting this minister to you right now? Are you letting your high priest serve you in this time? Are you you resting assured in the fact that we have a priest king who is in control? That we don't have to worry about what our worldly governments do. We don't have to worry about what stock markets do. We don't have to worry about who's going to get this virus and who's not. We don't have to worry about that ultimately because he is in control. And he's got this. That doesn't mean that we're um, unwise. That doesn't mean that we don't follow guidelines. It doesn't mean that we don't listen to our governing authorities because Scripture tells us that God put them there. And so we should listen to them. But what it does mean is we don't have to fear. We don't have to worry. We don't have to stress. We don't. Anxiety over this should not have a place with us. Because we can take it to him, we can take it to our high priest, and he will send his Holy Spirit to minister to us in this. For the non-Christian that might be listening, you might be somebody that, you know, a month ago you saw, oh, a church went live and you would just scroll right on past. Flip that. Flip, flip. Now you're sitting here and you've listened to this whole thing so far. You don't really know why. Why? But I want to tell you, there's hope for you. There's peace. There's Jesus. There's a high priest that can intercede for you. The price that he paid on the cross, the sacrifice that he made can cover you. It can cover your sin. It can make you right with God. Because as I said in the start, I don't know if the end is near. But I do think that Jesus' intent... All along was for us to live like the end is near. And the, the early Christians in the early church had this kind of mentality. They had this mentality of thinking, Jesus is coming back. We need to live like it. Jesus is coming back. We don't need to wait. We don't need to postpone anything. We don't need to hold off on following him. We need to be obedient. And it says this in 2 Thessalonians. Paul wrote this to the church of Thessalonica. In chapter 1, this is a little bit of a longer passage, so just just go with me here. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus or else the wrath of God is coming in the end. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So I ask you today, Christian. What does it look like in your life right now with all of these changes and how everything's different? What does it look like that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you? And you in him. According to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that look like right now? Another thing for me to just pose the question to you as if this is the end. What do you want to do before the end? Non-Christian, I hope you come to a place of faith in Christ where you have hope for beyond this. Christian, what is it that God wants you to do up until that moment where Jesus does come back? I don't think he wants us to be idle. I don't think he wants us just to be sitting waiting saying, well, I don't know what's going to happen. We'll see. Well, Jesus is going to show up at some point. But I think he wants us to be on mission. His word says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. None of that. Is stopped right now. Every bit of that can still go forth. And so, Christian, I encourage you let's be on mission and let's take the gospel to those who need it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you for His love. I thank you for his compassion. I thank you that he is my high priest. I thank you that he is my king. I thank you that he is my creator. I thank you that he is my sustainer. I thank you that he is Lord. And as Lord, he is sovereign. And he is under, in control. And Lord, I, I pray, I don't know the end, and that's by design. You didn't want us to know because, quite frankly, we couldn't handle it. But, Lord, we trust you, and we know that you have it all planned out. You have it all under control. And at some point, the end is coming. At some point, Jesus is coming back. Lord, let us be ready for that day. For anyone who might be watching this, listening to this, However, through technology, they're able to get this. Lord, use this truth in their life, the truth of the fact that they need Jesus. Lord, use your Holy Spirit to draw them to yourself, bring them to a place of faith and repentance. Pray all this in Christ's holy name.